You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Welcome to Thrive. It's good to have you here on June 28th, our first day for a new series called Replenish. My sense is that you're feeling a bit like me right now. You're tired, you're stressed, you're anxious. You know, we've got all this social upheaval been in our society. We've got um, such anti-social media going on, let's say that, with all the stuff that you read on Facebook and Twitter and how people are responding to each other. We've got the fatigue over the pandemic and our response. We've got what's going on in our personal lives. We miss being able to freely connect with other people and have community and have meals together or even worship together and all the celebrations. We're working through all of this at the same time. And at the same time, we might be working even harder than ever if we are employed. And all the activities that were used to refreshing us or renewing us, like watching sports or being involved in certain team activities or eating out or shopping or you name it, all have been taken out as well. And so we're a bit tired. And that's why we need to be replenished and come back to some of the basics of what that means. Today, we want to rest. We want to rest in God's presence. We want to rest and be replenished. So how do you rest? How do you rest right now? How do you rest in a very turbulent world during the COVID-19 pandemic? How does that work? And today we're going to talk about rest as we look at our text from Mark chapter 6. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now, I think one of the big questions I want to ask at the beginning of this about being replenished in general is why rest? Why rest in the first place? Why do we need to rest? Some of us act like we don't. And I'm going to tell you right away, both in the book, uh, the Gospel of Mark, as well as what's throughout the scriptures, one of the big reasons why I need to rest, and I believe why you need to, is this. Simply put, you are not God. You are not God. Though we talked about in the last message on shift, just this last week, that you are God's gift to the world, that still does not make you God, having to work and solve all the problems in the world all of the time. That's his job. Now, one time Jesus was healing in the Gospel of John on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees and the rabbis and teachers of the law were very upset with Jesus because he was working on the Sabbath. And the way Jesus responded to it was this in John chapter 5. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. So Jesus actually is showing his divinity and his 
reason for working on the Sabbath was that he was not simply a human being. He was working alongside his father. And here's the point I think Jesus is going to make is if God were to stop working, if God were to stop relating to his creation for even one moment in time, it's all gone. Hebrews puts it this way about the Son of God himself, Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. You know what? My words, they don't uphold anything. They might describe something, but they don't accomplish anything of themselves. But Jesus, being the word of God, upholds the entire universe with what he says and does, God's word preserve, God's word sustains, God's word create, God's word do what they say. Without God, there's nothing. Now, some philosophers back in uh, the 1700s and the 1600s believed and considered um, called deists, considered that God was kind of like the divine watchmaker. He creates this intricate creation, this earth and this universe, and then it's set up to run on its own, and he kind of walked off the scene and wasn't involved with that. And so we get involved in the watch itself, figure out how it's working and tinker with it the way we want. That's not what's really true. That's not a biblical understanding at all. It might have been convenient at the time so that human beings could do whatever they want because God was absent, left the building. But the reality is that God has always been involved with his creation. He is creating continually. He's actively engaged with it. He is giving bounty and blessing every day. His mercies, as the psalmist says, and as Jeremiah says in the Lamentations, his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. But you are not God. You don't uphold the world. God upholds you. If you think you can work hard enough in this world to finally get to a point of security and uphold your life and put it all together, you are just fooling yourselves. You know, there's always more you can do. There's always more money you can make. There's all much more activity you can put into your life. But you are not God. You can't guarantee your own security by doing these things. The psalmist writes in Psalm 127, It is in vain that you rise early and go to late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for, notice this, he gives to his beloved sleep. You don't create your rest. God gives rest as a gift to you. Now the psalm starts out, if unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain. Unless the Lord guards the city, the, those who guard it guard in vain. Otherwise, if God isn't involved in your work, if God isn't really the one behind it all, it doesn't really matter how hard you work. You can't do it enough. You don't control your life in that sense. So why rest? You're not God. Recognize your limit. Stop trying to play God. Trust God can handle it without you. In fact, God calls you to rest. God commands you to rest. God sets that limit every week in that way to rest. Cycles and rhythms in your life in order for you to remind yourself again and again, I am not God. 
One of my favorite verses, and maybe one of yours from Psalm 46, is simply that. Be still, that is rest, and know that I am God. Stop. I'll be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. You know, sometimes I think the reason I don't want to rest is because I would rather be the one exalted among the nations and exalted in the earth. I want to be lifted up. I want to be known for what I can do. I want to be the end all and be all. It's another way of trying to play God. And God says, no, that's not your job. That'll exhaust you. If you have an over-exaggerated sense of your self-importance in this world as if you are the one that's holding up the earth, upholding up your life, it will exhaust you. So rest. Why? I am not God. That's point one. Now point two is rather amazing. And that is this. Why rest? Because God himself even did. Do you realize that? God himself even did. Uh, This was fascinating. At the end of the first creation count in Genesis 1, um, by the way, the chapters of Genesis 1 and 2 are divided kind of in the wrong place. I'm not sure who divided them. This is the end of the story of the six days of creation. And at the uh, seventh day, this is what it says in Genesis 2, verses 2 to 3. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now, this is an odd verse, isn't it? Because God does not need to rest. He does not get tired. He is not wearied by anything. He is all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present, omnipotent. (laughs) Wow, that one was hard to come out, right? Omnipotent, all-powerful. But he chooses to rest on the seventh day. Isn't that fascinating? Why? Why would God rest? Why would God set that time aside? He doesn't need to replenish himself like we do. But he does it for us. He does it with us. I like what Timothy Keller says about the Sabbath in general and this idea of having a regular restful time in your week. He says this, the purpose of the Sabbath is not simply to rejuvenate yourself in order to do more production, nor is it the pursuit of pleasure. The purpose of Sabbath is to enjoy your God, life in general, what you have accomplished in the world through his help, and the freedom you have in the gospel, the freedom from slavery to any material object or human expectation. The Sabbath is a sign of the hope that we have in the world to come. The Sabbath is a weekly taste of the eternity that is before us, a time where we can enjoy all of God's creation renewed, a time where he can enjoy us, a time that we can enjoy him and have the joy of the wonder and beauty and glory that is around us. Nothing needs to be done. Anything can be done. We are freed to rest. You know, what's fascinating is in Genesis 2, then after this, the second count of creation and the creation of a very personal way of putting it, the creation of Adam from the dust of the ground, is that God then walks with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the evening. 
that he enjoys, that he actually accommodates to Adam's needs for sleep and rest and walking and everything. And he's involved in that. He chooses the first full day. So Adam is created on the evening of the sixth day. And the first full day that Adam and Eve know is the Sabbath, the day of rest. They don't work first and earn their rest. They are given their rest by God as a gift. It was not just a rest from physical labor, but it was a deep abiding soul rest. The core of their being could rest and find their joy, their love, their identity, their purpose in their relationship with God. Mark Buchanan, um, Christian pastor, good author. He's written a number of books. In one of his books, um, he uh, shares a story about a mom that he knew in his congregation who had a son who was extremely active, may have been ADHD, not sure, didn't know what the diagnosis is. Um, but he would fall in this, this um, eight, nine-year-old would fall into a temper tantrum here and there or just kind of just become out of control for a while. And she tried everything, many tears, many therapies, many doctor's visits. Nothing seemed to be working for her son. Finally, exasperated one day, when nothing else seemed to be working, she just got a hold of him as he was kind of in one of those temper tantrums again and just grabbed him and held him tight sat him on her lap as he kicked and fussed. She just started to sing to him, whisper to him, soothing, loving songs. And slowly but surely, he stopped fighting against her and slowly began to relax in her arms and upon her lap. And she does this regularly, she told Mark. And she says, and she puts it this way, I hold on to him long enough that he remembers who he is. I love that. I hold on to him long enough until he remembers who he is. God wants you to rest. God rests with you. God chooses to rest because during that, he is holding on to you long enough so you remember who you are, his child. That's the idea of a Sabbath, a regular weekly break, a day for nothing, a margin day, a day of space, a day of time with God, a day of recreation and renewal and rest when nothing has to be accomplished. And that, I think, leads to the text of what Mark's gospel also says, you see, Jesus and his ministry, it was like off the chain, just happening quickly. And in Mark's gospel, it's one immediate thing after another. Boom, 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 boom. And it was so fast paced. But what's so amazing about Mark's gospel and the, um, the passage we read is that in the middle of this, Jesus recognized there was something important for him and his disciples. And so Jesus is himself inviting his disciples to rest. 
Now, you could almost see his disciples see how Jesus taught people, how he fed people, how he healed people, how he did this and that miracle, and thousands were thronging to him in Galilee and in the Decapolis and all the areas around the Sea of Galilee itself and all the towns that he went to and how they would say, hey, wait a minute, Jesus, we got so much going on here. We've got to figure out an efficient way to handle it. I can book you from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. with 15-minute appointment intervals, and that might make things a little more efficient. Or we can start grouping people into large groups. So all of the lame are over in this group, and all those that are demon-possessed here. And you kind of get the idea. They could have been doing that type of thing and thinking, okay, there's more people always healed, and there's more people who need feeding, and there's more of this and more of that, and you got to teach these people, and you got to do this. And he could have filled his schedule up to the brim. But Jesus doesn't do that. Efficiency was not what Jesus had in mind for his disciples at that time. It wasn't a performance. It was a way of being. So Jesus didn't just push, 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 push. Jesus knows his father's in charge. And when his father's in charge, there is rest involved as well. So he didn't just exhaust him every day of the week. He said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. So maybe there's a weekly Sabbath. Maybe there's a monthly retreat, a time to rest I don't think he meant just a couple of hours here before the crowds show up again. I believe he was considering two, three days, easy, maybe a week, where they would be refreshed, they would be renewed, they would rest and be prepared for the next step in ministry. He invites his disciples to rest. He sets them apart. He consecrates that time. He removes them from the crowds. He calls them to a desolate place. Quite frankly now, you are not God. God himself rested, and Jesus invites you to rest. Quite frankly now, there are some of you that just need to take a break. Your life right now is out of control because you're trying to control it all. Do it all. You pack your schedule so full, and it's frantic. It sounds like the line in Mark 36, 31, that many were coming and going. There was not even time to eat. I've known families that don't even sit down for a meal hardly once a week because they're always on the road be going between this practice and that practice and this event and that event. And they only get fast food because that's the only kind of food they can get. They don't have time to rest and be the family and to even have God involved in that. Now, Maybe the time of COVID-19 has slowed that down because all of a sudden, all those sports activities have stopped. Maybe God is telling us, come away by yourselves for a while and rest. So some of you need to take the break. And it's amazing, I think, that God would accommodate himself to our schedules, that Jesus Christ sets Himself, the limitation to rest alongside his disciple. Isn't it amazing that God wants to spend the time with us and asks us to stop in order to be with him and he with us? 
And though we have disrupted all of his creation by trying to play God from Adam and Eve on, God has not stopped inviting us into rest. You know, it's amazing, too, when we realize that in the Garden of Eden, God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, that he gave them the first day of rest. They defied him and left that garden, that Jesus entered into a garden in his own ministry, in his own life. But it wasn't a garden for rest. It was a garden of restlessness, the Garden of Gethsemane where he even sweat drops of blood and was filled with the anxieties of death and sin and the work that was before him. And that restless night turned into a torturous day of hard work as he was suffering for the sins of the world. You know, what's fascinating too is on the cross, some of uh, commentators have said, if you look at the words that Jesus spoke, the seven words of Christ, almost all of them are taken in one form or another from the book of Psalms, the prayer book of the Bible. And the one cry that he cried out at the hour of darkness, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Was Psalm 22 in the midst of the agony and the tension. And this is what Psalm 22, verse 1 says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? But the next verse, Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and at night, but I find no rest. Jesus did not rest on the cross so you could enter his rest. Jesus was cursed on the cross so that you could be blessed with rest. Jesus was killed so he would give you a life of peace and harmony and rest. He was rejected by you so that he could accept you and welcome you into his rest. He worked so that you could stop, cease striving, and know he is God. And he declared once and for all, it is finished, it is accomplished. One of the last words he spoke from the cross, which means paid in full, no more work to be done. And that's why the book of Hebrews puts it this way about his whole work, his whole ministry, it sums it up as a Sabbath rest. He says, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever enters God's rest has rested also from his work as God did from his. In other words, because Jesus Christ has done all the work for your salvation, you now can rest. You don't have to do anything to please God. You don't have to do anything to be loved by God. You don't have to do anything to be forgiven by God. You don't have to do anything to be accepted. You have your identity. You have everything given to you. You enter his rest once again. And know he is your God. So like I said, some of you need to take a break because you got to stop acting like you are God. And others might have been trying to take breaks, but the world is just pounding at you right and left because of all the ministry opportunities you might have or all the things you've got to do. and And it's hard and the demands and how only people value you by what you can accomplish in this world, which is not your identity. 
And you need to know that God himself does not center himself on his work, but he even rested to enjoy you and you can enjoy him. Because the world's lying to you about where your identity and your value are. Or as Jesus would say, some of you, you've been working hard and you've got a lot of great ministry opportunities and a lot of things going on, but Jesus is still saying, do you come away by yourselves? And rest for a while. Come away by yourselves. You need to be replenished. We all do. I need to be replenished. You know, theology is great. I love it. I read it. I think about it. But I've known a lot of pastors who have the ideas up here. And they can spit out the Bible passages. But if you look at their life, it's filled with busyness. Because they are still somehow trying to get their value and their identity from how hard they work and the approval of others. But Jesus is calling his disciples, his disciples he's calling to find their identity with being with him and not with the things that they accomplished. So grace is not supposed to be an abstract principle tucked away in your brain. Grace is to be lived out and should be expressed in the way you live. And people should be able to see that grace just by you being a bit different than the world. If people looked at your schedule today, if people considered what your schedule looked like, would they be able to see that you are living out the fact that you are not God and God has given you rest? What rhythms could you put into your schedule starting this week right now so that you are at rest with God and then can work from that rest? Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer from about 500 years ago, 500 years ago, um, he uh, had a good friend of his, Philip Melanchthon, who worked diligently, who was probably the workhorse of the Reformation. The two of them together put out volumes and volumes and volumes of work and taught at the university, etc., and uh, seemed in some ways unstoppable. But uh, Martin Luther was also smart in knowing who was God and who was in charge of this whole thing, and it wasn't Martin. One day, Philip Melanchthon came to him, his co-worker and friend, and he said to him, Dr. Luther, we will write a treatise on the kingdom of God's glory by which he rules the universe today. And Luther responded, no, Melanchthon, this morning we'll leave the ruling of the universe to the God and we're going to go fishing. Let's pray. Lord God, sometime we're just working, working and working and working and working and think we have to. Well, what you've really called us to do is to rest in you, to stop and know that you are God. Lord God, this day we pray that you'd be working in us in such a deep and profound way that we would understand this truth that you would teach us now to put this into practice instead of just to go, yeah, I know I need to rest. To put it into practice that we have a daily time 
of hearing your word and letting it sink into the depth of our soul, that we have a weekly time of resting and stopping from all of the activities to both reflect on you and the beauty of your creation and to enjoy our family and to enjoy your, and to enjoy community and to be with you. We pray, Lord, that you give us times of retreat when we can get away from everything so that we can spend time in your beauty and your creation and your wonderful grace and to know who we are because we know you. Lord, today we also remember in our prayers those who need your healing touch right now. We pray, Lord, for the surgeries that are upcoming and that have been experienced, for uh, Bonnie Coolidge, for um, James House. We lift up to you Andy Blankenship and her treatments and the results that she has received so far in the diagnosis and prognosis and treatment. But Lord, we know that you are God and we are not. We need you to be the great physician. We need you to be our Lord and Savior. We need you to bring your healing to bear. We thank you that you work so often through doctors and nurses and technicians and everyone, Lord, and we thank you for that. But we pray also for your direct intervention in their lives. We lift up to you our nation, Lord. We ask for wisdom. We ask for understanding. We pray as well, Lord, for Thrive for the next steps in our reopening or getting back to some form of uh, in-person gatherings and worship, Lord God. We ask that we would be in step with your spirit, Lord, that we would not rush out beforehand, that we would not lag behind in fear, but we'd live both in courage and in faith and in trust as well, Lord God, as uh, humble, knowing that we're not in charge and we don't need to be. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for our time to be with you today. I pray that this afternoon, this afternoon at the end of June, you give us rest. Maybe there are things that we had planned ahead of time in a hand of uh, watching this service, Lord God, and we ask you right now, um, if they need to change and if we need to just stop, help us to stop and to just rest in you. Bless our families and our relationships, even though separated over the miles at times, Lord, that we can rest in you. We pray as well, Lord God, that um, this time of so many things that have gone on, a year that is in unprecedented in many ways, a very difficult year, um, that you, we know your, your kingdom not only remains, but it's growing. And we pray that Thrive can be a part of that growth, that we can be responsive to the needs of this community, that we can reach out in love, that we can minister to one another, we can encourage one another, and we can experience replenishment of our souls, that we are truly replenished by your word, by your spirit, by your love, by your grace, by the community you've placed us in, and by the time that you have us set aside for you. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Hear us now as we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the power, the kingdom, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.